welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Welcome to another Imperfectly Perfect Conversation, the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm talking to Dave McPartlin, head of Blake Fleet Primary, Happiest School 2018, uh, School of the Year runner up in 2019. Um, Dave believes that happy kids are better learners. Um, Bristol Got Talent's Golden Buzzer and BBC Bite Size presenter. If you're not impressed by this. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't, I've got a big head. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 I'm, I'm burning up, I'm getting a bit embarrassed. Amazing. So I very, very warm welcome to the podcast, Dave. I'm super excited to be speaking to you. Thanks for having me. It's always very exciting when I get, you know, get asked to do this kind of thing. It's a bit weird. No, but it's, it's, it's awesome because Obviously, very clearly, you care a lot about uh, the well-being of of our young children, right? Yeah, absolutely. The way that I see it is you've you've got to get that sorted first and foremost before you can you know you can build upon that. And I think that's the same for adults. You've got to be in a good place uh, for learning, haven't you? You've got to be in a good place for your job and, and so on. Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. And so. Do you juggle that in a system in mainstream? So you're head of a of a primary school. Um, having you know, my, my youngest is in year six and about to sort of you know finish and go to year seven. My eldest is in year eight, so he's gone through primary. Our current schooling system it it starts from um, from primary really with the with their SATs in year two and then in year six. So more and more we are, you know, the curriculum, there's, there's quite a lot in the curriculum. So how do, how do you make the happy kids with the with the, the curriculum? The, 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 yeah, the pressure of SATs and, yeah. and Ofsted and driving standards and things like that. Um, Honest answer, it's a bit of a balancing act. Um, I, I do genuinely believe that the, you know that happy children make better learners, but then you've also got to balance the fact that there is a, you know, and, and rightly so, there's a high degree of accountability in in all educational places, you know, whether that's school, high school, university, and so on. Um, so I think you've kind of you've got the the well-being thing that is a, you know, it's a very long-term um, goal. Um, you can try and tick, you know, try and support these children short term, but some of the more challenging um, things that we've got going on take a lot longer. We've got to balance that with the fact that they they do we, we need as many of them as possible to leave primary school, being able to read and write. So you got you got you know it's it, it's not a jarring mix because they, they should work together very very nicely. 
but um, you do feel a little bit torn and, and pulled in a couple of different places all at once. But that's where the, the strength of your conviction comes in. And, you know, the reality is some of the things that we've been doing over the last five years, they are now starting to, you know, we are starting to see the benefits of them. Behaviour is brilliant. The, the children, by and large, have the skills that they need to, you know, survive and thrive. Um, yeah, torn. Torn, I think, is probably the way that I'd sum it up sometimes. Yes. I can imagine. And as of watching um, earlier on the path of the, the, the Britain Got Talent, sort of, you know, when you introduced um, this little girl who was sort of talking about her, her, you know, the fact that she wanted to come to, uh, to, to obviously sing. I mean, not many friends would do that. So what what made you want to to help this young girl who stood up in the assembly and said she wanted to go and sing? Yeah, I think I think it's the backstory that you know that never really got out there when we did Britain's Got Talent. Um, and what it was, um, I'm I'm very much you know working class roots, uh, an industrial town in, in the northeast Hartlepool, and and I grew up, um, you know, recognize. I, I don't know. It, it, I, oh, I kind of want to start again, but I, I, I think what we recognised in Fleet was something I'd seen growing up that there, there was sometimes a, sadly a belief that you couldn't do something. And what I had was, you know, now and again people would say to me, I can't do that. I'm from Fleetwood. And, and I, I definitely saw that when I was growing up in Hartlepool. And there's times where you'd have big ideas and people say, God, oh, come on, you're from Hartlepool, you can't do that. And, and the whole idea was to raise aspirations. And, and if you jump back about six months before Britain's Got Talent, we came up with a dreams list um, for every child in the school. Um, and we ended up with 420 dreams um, that we were going to try and make come true over the following year. And there was all sorts of different things. Some wanted to be a vet, so that, you know, that they went to the vets for the day, or they wanted to be princesses, so we had Disney princesses running around for the day. Um, one of them wanted to be a pop star, so we had a, we, we went for Christmas number one, took it really seriously, got completely carried away, and you know we had lots of fun, and, and you know she she recorded a you know professional single, and we you know we had that, and then Britain's Got Talent was one of the one of the dreams on the list, and I sent a, a cheeky application off, didn't think it would get anywhere whatsoever, didn't think anything more of it, you know I often send off speculative, excuse me, emails or. You know, you know chance my arm at things and then they, they offered us an audition um the reality was they, they sacked us off um after a couple of weeks where they told us we were going to get an audition then the stand of the choir was too high so then we knock up knocked up a video there and then that day loads of daft things kids popping out of bins me dressed as a woman doing silly things and and they changed their mind and, and we, we ended up getting an audition and we had this incredible experience, but nobody expected us to, you know, to get a golden buzzer and go through to the live shows. But that's the whole, you know, the, 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 I've got the uniform on now, you know, blazing across the front of his dare to dream. And, and that, that's what I want our kids to do. I want all of our kids to grow up believing that anything is possible when you dare to dream. But, but the flip side of that is go dare to fail. You know, we didn't get Christmas number one. We went into Britain's at Talent as favourites. We came sixth. But we had such an amazing experience going for it. And, and that is what I want for our children. You know, I want them to believe that anything is possible and just give it a go because mm. you never know what might happen. Yeah. And this is what I love about the story is that it, what you taught these young people is, first of all, that 
you know, just because your your socioeconomic background is 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 a certain you know background, it doesn't mean that you are stuck in there and that you can't yeah. achieve. Um, but also that, in effect, it's not so much about being you know first or you know to to win, but to actually go for what you 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 want to achieve, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I often think, I don't know about you, but I I think about growing up and I think about what I, what my dreams were and and what, you know, my friends were. I still remember some of them. Um, And and I've got kind of have this image in my head of a filter and and I feel that our dreams are filtered. You've got the, the family filter, what your family think is best for you. You've got the money filter. You can't afford it. You know, you've got your own, you know, your embarrassment that you don't want to admit that actually you want to do a job. You know, that if you're a boy, stereotypically, your boy shouldn't go and be a ballet dancer, which is ridiculous. You, we should all go and, and, you know, think about what our passions are. Think what, you know, what we might be good at. Think about how we might change the world. And the reality is, if you're good at any of those things, you're probably going to earn a decent living out of it. And, and more importantly than that, you're going to be happy and you're probably going to have both. You know, but, but how many of us go through life thinking, do you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. But we don't, we don't even say it out loud. Never mind. Go for it. Because yeah. we, we're putting all those barriers in our way straight away. And, and, and the reality is over the last couple of years, we've said yes to all sorts of things that, you know, maybe ordinarily we wouldn't have done or, you know, just given it a go. And you, you, there's, there's such a lovely feeling about taking even the first step of 100 towards making your dreams come true. There's something really beautiful about that. You know, actually telling somebody what you want to do that's quite empowering you know we don't do that we don't make ourselves so vulnerable sometimes we certainly don't write it down we don't you know see you know i've, I've done this myself you, you write it down like, wow okay so i'll do the first thing i'll do the next one and you might get you're going to get rejected but the more you get rejected the easier it becomes yes. and, and the more you get rejected the more success becomes inevitable because eventually if you keep going and you you know you continuously honing your craft and trying to get better somebody's going to give you a break. Maybe that's just me, but I, I genuinely think somebody will give you a break along the way. I agree. I agree because it's sort of a, I can't remember who's written that book, but there's a, there's a, uh, an American um, researcher who's written, you know, so good that they can't ignore you. So actually the, the better you become at, at your craft, the more people, yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I think what also that, is the message around failure right because because fear of failure is so in a lot of young people that work with at university they're they're perfectionists they've they've got fear of failure you know uh imposter syndrome not feeling good enough that competitiveness and you know by doing this with these young people in primary you've set like ground rules you know, not rules, but there's just sort of like belief that yeah. you can do this, that is the complete opposite of what they may experience, you know, later on in life and be worried about. So what an amazing gift to give them. Yeah, I hope so. You know, we, we, we try. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really, it's just unbelievable. And, and, you know, going back to, I'd really like to explore what you said about the where, where you you work and the socioeconomic background of some of the pupils you work with um because I, that really resonates with me in the sense that i i grew up you know obviously in france from a working class family 
you know, mum was, you know, worked in a supermarket. My dad was a mechanic, um, yeah, first to go to university. Um, and I very much feel that I've had to shift a lot of the paradigms and my thinking and my beliefs as a result. Um, you know, felt that very often I didn't resonate with a lot of my peers at university who were from a completely different background. Um, and so I would love to have your take on, you know, starting from primary, how do we make, you know, schools and education more um, equitable and, you know, more chances for everybody? I think just you know just going back to what we've just been talking about I think part of it is is the the conditions for growth you know the the, the psychological safety um for, for as adults you know the, to feel that it's okay to turn around and say Do you know what this might work it might not but it might work or can we try this um should we give that a go and and you've got to be okay with the fact that you know what you might have got it completely wrong you might fail spectacularly and, and that's gotta be okay. We don't make the same mistake again, or we certainly try not to, but we learn from it. Again, we, you know, we tinker with it, we, we modify it. Um, and, I, and I think part of that, you know, big part of that is the psychological safety. I guess in schools, it's the, the relational approach to behavior, you know, that, that, that's the route we're going down at the moment. That's about relationships. And that's the same for adults. You know, the, the whole shouting at kids, for example, you know, if somebody shouted at me or you, our relationship would be probably permanently at least hindered, if not destroyed. You know, the, the, you know, we, we, the exciting things happen when you get on with people, when you've got mutual trust, mutual respect. And that, that, that's the same for the children. Um, so I think part of it is, is growing those conditions, uh, you know, putting those conditions in place to, you know, like a plant, it needs water, it needs light, it needs the soil. And, and hopefully the, the mental health and well-being, them being in a good place, them, them having that imagination, the, the you know, the, the, the willingness to, to innovate and, and try different things. Um, but that, that, that goes back to your very first question that, it, you know, some of these things, I think they will have a knock on a positive impact on, on standards within school. But the kind of things we're talking about take a very, very, you know, they, they can take years and years and years. We might not even see it until they're, they're 18 and mm -hmm. they look back and think, Do you know what, I was a golden buzzer when I was seven and you can't take that away from me. But something changed inside me that day, that, that, little, that little school from up north who shouldn't have, you know, we shouldn't have gone into the finals as favourites. And we didn't, but we, we shouldn't have been in the, the food tent with the rest of the crew and the other acts. You know, that shouldn't have happened, but it did because we made ourselves vulnerable and gave it a go. You know, part, that's part of it, embracing vulnerability, isn't it? Mm. You know, we don't see that as being a strength, but, you know, but actually making yourself vulnerable takes real courage. You know, mm. how, how many of us actually truly make ourselves vulnerable, tell people how we're feeling, tell people what we want? Vulnerability is cool. Yeah, I agree. I think it's... I don't describe it as being cool, but, <laughs> but actually, you know, that, 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 that you know, being vulnerable is a really, really, you know, making yourself feel vulnerable is, is stepping out. It's a really, really positive attribute. But we don't see that. You know, you, you mentioned imposter syndrome. I really suffer from imposter syndrome. But the, the the byproduct of that, I think, is that you tend to work really hard. You don't want to get it wrong. And you want to achieve what you set out to. You know, you reframe most things that, you know, you realize that actually that's quite positive in a way. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think it's, um, you know, that. It, it requires you to to step out of your comfort zone as well, isn't it? And and that's where yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The, the the families in the 
in the call and you know when you sort of said right we're going to that britain got got talent and we're going to do this with the kids what was the response of 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 families and parents probably thought we'd lost the plot um i think somebody said are you selling are you selling those kids a unicorn um or, or whatever the phrase is are you selling them a rainbow so it's something there's a phrase somewhere in amongst that um and I think I think there's a little part of it that like, this is a bit ridiculous, even for Dave's standards. Um, but I felt confident that we could, you know, th th for us, it was it was a trip to Manchester. You know, lots of our kids had never even been to Manchester. That was really cool. Um, we we got to go and meet Ant and Deck and Simon Cowell and David Williams, the kids' favourite author. That's pretty amazing. You know, we didn't need to do, you know, we didn't need to do an amazing performance. For me, I wanted them that experience. I wanted, you know, them to feel proud of what they've done. We didn't talk once about, you know, anything happening of, you know, going through it the next round. Um, but, you know, you, you can talk about self-efficacy. You can talk about, you know, daring to dream. Or you can do it so much more powerful when you actually step into that place and give it a go. And, and now... I can go in the staff room and I can throw the most ridiculous idea out there and staff will go, yeah, come on, let's do it. Because that's what we do. We just give it a go. And, and if we fail, yeah, we fail smiling. And I mean that, I really mean that. You know, I don't think any of us expected the Dare to Dream to take off quite like it has and to have the impact on, on you know, our school and hopefully the community um, like it has. But, but it has. We've I worked hard. We've yeah. worked really hard. I love the dare to dream. So talk talk me through the jumper you've got on. Obviously, our listeners can't see it. Yeah, I've got. Uh, I caused outrage a couple of weeks back because I changed the, the school uniform. And I, I tell you what, it's not for the faint-hearted, Fabienne. It's not for the faint-hearted. Um, basically, um, we about two years ago, the last couple of years, we've really tried to reflect on what we do in schools and why we do it, and how we do it. And way before lockdown and COVID, um, we started talking about uniform and, and how ridiculous it seems that, you know, four, five, six-year-old boys, any boys, any girls, that, you know, that they wear in the school uniform that they do. Like if somebody landed on planet Earth tomorrow, they didn't know anything about school uniform and education and all the traditions, would you really look uh, at a 10-year-old lad and say, do you know what, let's put them in grey trousers. They're running around all day and jumping over things and really active, but let's put them in grey trousers. And let's put them in shoes so that they can't run around, you know, the, the, you know, it's a bit more uncomfortable, but it'll, but it'll look nice. And then and then a white shirt that needs ironing every night and you're gonna get stains full of grass and it's not very good for being active. And then a tie, you know, it just seems that, you know, girl, girls in skirts, you know, there's loads of evidence out there that they stop being as active as they get older. Um, so we decided to, to introduce tracksuit bottoms um leggings shorts you know basically things to to encourage them to be a bit more active during the school day um and then rather than putting the school logo on which upset one or two people we put dare to dream on the front put hashtag dare to dream because that's what i want in those children's faces all day every day dare to dream it's become a phrase you know oh, i can't do that come on dare to, dare to dream it's got flake free primary school on the back but the kids love it the parents do love it. It was just it was a bit bit of a change from the, the previous one. But the whole idea is that the, the children 
play more. They, they're, they're more active. They have more fun on a play time and a dinner time. And and it's like when you wear a Man United kit or a Liverpool kit, if you're one of their fans, you love it. You feel proud of wearing it. And the kids didn't love the school uniform. It felt like a golf club jumper with the school logo on. Whereas actually, this is quite, I think it's quite cool. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be everyone's tastes, but but it's a lot more practical. And, and certainly the children, they like wearing it. They, they love wearing it and they look lovely in it. Oh, it's so awesome, Dave. I love that. Um, now, my first reaction, because like I've seen what happens in schools when you introduce new things that are a little bit out there, right? Yeah, a little, just a bit. Did you, did you get reactions from parents who were like, no, we want the uniform and this is the... Tr more traditionalists of parents who Fa Fabian I'll, I'll give you an exclusive I got that much grief I cried my eyes out <laughs> true story true story um, no. yeah I'm not talking about this on anything so let, come on let, let's delve into this one um we so, so I'll give a context we, we talked about it for we really had talked about it for a very very long time um knew it would feel like a big deal um I had consulted with parents um, ages back. I put a picture on or I put a, a question on. Um, and, and basically the, 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 the feedback from Facebook seemed to be that the parents of the boys quite liked active wear, you know, because, you know, they seemed to be more active, rightly and well, wrongly. Um, and that was it. And then the, the girls, the parents of the girls, the, the feeling was that they, they liked them to look pretty and cute. And that's not everybody. But I had lots of people who were very, you know, the ones who were honest with me said, actually, I, I, I think they look really pretty in them and I want them to, and I, I want them to look cute. I want the photos to look lovely. And, and, and I, then as you start unpicking it, you realise that it's about traditions. We've all been to school. Most school uniforms look exactly the same. If it's not royal blue, it's navy. If it's not navy, it's red or green or brown. You know, it's the same thing across the country or even the logos, you know, give or take, they're, they're pretty similar. Um, and you realize that we're just very traditional, particularly the people, the parents who have maybe come to the school and maybe even their, their mums and dads have come to school. Um, but we talked about it, we ran it past the governors and we just felt so strongly that we need to be more active. You know, we've all, I've put weight on during lockdown. Some of the children put a lot of weight on, they've, they've not been very active. Um, and we decided to go for it and we picked. There was, I don't know whether, you know, where are you based Fabian? Just outside Bristol. Just outside Bristol. I don't know if it was the same for you, but around March, February, March, it was really dark. It was miserable. Mm. We were sick and tired of lockdown. And it was it was a bit of a tough time. Um, and, and I could sense a bit of feistiness in the community. You know, staff were a bit tearful and taking things the wrong way. And, and it didn't bother me at all. I just felt that people were tired and stressed. And, and I decided to announce the uniform change just in the middle of that perfect little storm. And, and, and I was, you know, I, I was, <laughs> all of a sudden it was me, Dave McPartlin. You have ruined my life with this uniform change. Uh, and I shouldn't laugh if any of my parents end up listening to this and be like, oh, wow, Dave, be careful. Uh, tread, tread easy, mate. Um, and, and, and I did, I put a picture on. Um, I thought it'd gone down well at the first 10, 15 minutes and then the grief started coming and people did not hold back. And I wasn't used to that because I'm, I am a people pleaser, but not in a bad way. I just, I like to make everyone happy. I, I, I don't like conflict and I certainly don't like to upset people. 
And, and I don't like getting things wrong. So I hope I work hard enough that I don't get things wrong that often. But when I do, I own it and I don't do it again. And, and I got a lot of grief, um, not from lots and lots of people, but there were, there were you know, there's certainly a, a small proportion of people who were very vocal about it. And, and I really struggled. And, you know, I, I do suffer with my anxiety. And I, you know, I, I do worry about things. And I went into a bit of a meltdown. You know, I released it at dinner time. And over the afternoon, I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, I've got that sicky feeling. And oh, and then, I, then I'm driving home and I'm ringing our ICT. The, the company moderates our face because there's 25,000 people on there. It's a lot. It's a big, it's a yeah. lot on the page. And and I said to him, you know, what, what do I do? I said, John, do I pull the post? Do I deactivate the page for 24 hours? Let the dust settle a little bit. You know, I'm starting to sense that the press is sniffing around it. And, and I didn't know what to do. And he said, Dave, if you weren't feeling so vulnerable, what would you do? You know, if you were feeling on good form, what would you do? I said, well, I'd go live. I'd, I'd do a Facebook Live and I'd explain the thinking behind it. And then hopefully people would understand. Uh, so I did, seven o'clock, felt really vulnerable. Really, you know, I, I was past myself. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't talk, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink. You know, the, the kids were destroying the house and I just couldn't take you know, I couldn't do anything. And I went live and, and I got quite a bit of grief again. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel like I was given an opportunity to explain. And, and it hurt because I love my community. I love my parents. I love the kids. And, and I genuinely, even now, you know, I, I, it's absolutely the right thing to do. And, it, you know, it's already having an impact. And, and, and I, I said, I'll, I'll read a story. I read a story all through lockdown. So I'll read a story at the end if this goes okay. And I have my book ready. You know, to try and soften and you know lighten the mood at the end of the call and and I couldn't do it it was a really bruising experience you know the, the comments kept coming and I just shut my laptop excuse me I shut my laptop screen I just cried I got I sobbed I, got, I was really upset um you know I, I then didn't sleep that night pretty much at all and and you kind of you got a flavor of you know how you I'm not a celebrity you know I've done you know I've been lucky on Britain's Up Talent I've done a bit of BBC bite size I'm certainly not a celebrity um but I just, I just felt I got a flavour of maybe what social media can do to people. That mm-hmm. uh, I just had to strap myself in and, and ride it out. And, and at some point, you know, the dust would settle and it would be fine. And the next day, you know, I thought, do I go back out on the gate? You know, I'm going to get more grief, but this time it's going to be in person. And the parents, in fairness, were, were lovely. They, they, they brought me, they even brought me presents, Fabian. They actually brought me wow. presents to say, I hope you're OK and stuff. And I got cards and it was lovely. Uh, but, it, but it was tough. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, anybody thinking of changing the unicorn, it, 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 it is worth it. But you realise that we're all essentially, we're, we're, we know, we're quite traditional, I guess. So it's change. You know, I love change, big fan of change, but some people aren't so much. Yes. And, and I think that's a fab, you know, lead to one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, it's the fact that the last year I've been so you know, I've, I've really realized how much I was a product of the, the education system. So gone through it, never questioned it. That's what you do. Um, you know, coming to the UK, I'd really adopted the, well, this is what you do. So we left Central Bristol to go to this like countryside to be, to be in the catchment area of this tiny little village school. So then my elders could go into this outstanding secondary school. You know, like really, I just... I went, oh, well, this is how we do schooling in, uh, in, in the, you know, in the UK. I mean, when I think back, I was as pregnant with my youngest when we move into this cottage. I mean, it's like, wow, 
Um, and that, that's a position of privilege because, you know, I, we could afford to do that. There's loads of people who can't do that. Okay. I recognize my position of privilege. But recently, I've been really questioning all the paradigms around education, like you were describing, you know, that attachment we have to tradition, to, you know, for me, the uniform's always been weird, because as a French person, we've never had uniforms. And oh, do you not have uniform in France? No, 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 everybody goes to school, you know, um, in their own clothes. So people will argue that you can see the difference in socioeconomic background if you don't wear a uniform. But actually, I think you can see also in other people because people who have more money will go and buy their clothes in Marks and Spencers or yeah, or, yeah, or yeah you can still right? yeah, I, I I think it's a fair point. Um, so so that um, but I've never really questioned, and then suddenly I'm like, right, okay, well, do we? Does it have to be this system? So does it have to be uniform? Does it have to be like so traditional because there's a lot of the things that we've inherited is really from like victorian time i mean yeah 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 probably in the news you know our um minister talking about how after lockdown our children need order and um to me was like oh that's very (laughs) not 2021 i'm not sure we want the cane back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that was what it felt like. So do you think that there is a certain attachment from our society, parents, you know, even teachers because of this, the way yeah. we are taught? And um, how do we change that? I mean, you know, you were really brave to just go, right, we're changing the uniform and, and I love your authenticity and your like the fact that you you just you were vulnerable and you showed up in the favorite Facebook Live. Um so how do we how, how do we change the paradigm and change the conversations? Do you think? I, I don't know. Uh, I I do think about that a lot, a lot. I'm bordering on obsession at the minute, and I, I think the reason I think about it a lot is COVID's been tough for everybody. You know, everybody for lots and lots of different reasons. Um, you know, we've all been battling our own things that we'll all go. Well, it's nothing compared to that so and so. But you know, for for us all, we, we we've all had challenges to overcome, and and I think it's you know there's been times where we've had that little bit more brain capacity, but been a little bit more time in our hands, bit of time to reflect. We've had to rapidly innovate, unlike ever before, um, completely reevaluate what's important, um, and and I find it, in many ways I find it liberating that we did what was important. We were guided by our values and what was right for our children and community, and and I think this is the perfect time to look back on what's worked and keep it but also reflect on what doesn't work um and and what do we do moving forward you know the uniform we felt certain that you know you there were some of our children who we know have put quite a bit of weight on um for for lots of different reasons you know i put i did put a lot of weight on i've, I've exercised a lot the last couple of months but i did um so i felt like we ordered to them to to, to support them in that moving forward um but it's it's going to be different for every school fabian i think i think you know every, every school serves their own community be that mm-hmm. the very local small community or the, the town the city even the county and I, I think what we're doing at the moment is we're trying to figure out what does our community need what do our children need 
moving forward because we are in what would be classified as a disadvantaged area. Um, so we've got to figure out what do these children need? You know, we talk about disadvantage. What does that look like? What does that mean for our children? You know, part of it, we think, we think about it as being material stuff, money. And actually, part of disadvantage is your mindset. You know, I, I went to a very middle-class university, Durham, and I was just in, amongst lots of peers who just assumed that they were going to go on to these big things and be successful. You know, that was advantage. They just assumed that they would go on. They've been conditioned for such a long time. Whereas for me, a working class, you know, a bit rough around the edges lad from Hartlepool, that was an eye-opener. And I think it changed for a bit. I think I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. But that that's advantage, isn't it? The, the, the mindset that you take into life. And, and I think... The money we might not be able to do a huge amount of it, but that mindset, that well-being, that attitude that we instill in them, we, we certainly can. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I think we, we need to start having the conversations about it more than anything. I guess that's the starting point for me. I agree. I agree. And I think this is why, you know, for me, I, the, the Flourishing Education podcast is, is really important because I think you know, I talk to people who, for example, take their children out of the system and, you know, home educate it you know home educate or you know i'm learning all of those things but for me I, I think we need the mainstream system because there are there are young people who have parents who are you know from immigrant background who whose first language is not english you have parents who you know single parents who have free jobs and wouldn't be able to home educate their children and so it's about it's it's going back to that equity sort of like giving the same the same opportunities for everybody. Um, so you know, if if you had a magic wand, I mean, you sort of like been talked, you know, thinking loads about this. What do you think fosters well-being and equity, and you know that sort of mindset and what are the, are there any little things that we can start doing from a young age to support young people? Wow, just I'm just uh, I'm thinking about this magic wand fairy outfit. I'm just trying to get my head around this this power and responsibility that I have. I don't know what I'd do. Um, well, for, for people who can't see me, I've literally got my head in my hands because it feels like such a big question. Um, I think it's got to start as early as possible. Um, you know, the, the show start children's centers, they never really, I don't think ever got to where they were meant to. You know, I, I think they were set up very, you know, the intentions were genuine, but I think, I think it's the support for the families, even before the children have been born, even before they've had children, I think support for our communities, um, you know, the, the, the leveling up that Boris would call it. And, and then the, the support, you know, you know, even, it's crazy, isn't it? You, to, to drive, you've got to be 17, you've got to have driving lessons, or, you know, there's so many things that you've got to have a license for. Whereas children, we can all go and have children. And, and in a way, I feel like there should be a, a better offer for, for parenting classes. Yeah. I'm not a brilliant parent. You know, we, we make it up as, as we go. Um, it depends on how we were parented, the experiences that we've had, we can do the same or we can do the exact opposite. Um, and I think I think it's the support, um, the support that we give them. You know, I, I often think I'm sorry. I'm I don't know. If I'm like ranting you a bit. No, no, it's good. It's fabulous. I just I just I find myself thinking. 
you know, advantage is if I, you know, when I've applied for, say, teaching roles, I'm really lucky that I've got loads of people that will read through my application form, will sit and do interview practice with me. I'm lucky that I've got a suit upstairs that I can wear for it. And, and you know, even things like that, you know, some people don't have that, that support. Someone just to give them a nudge and say, hey, come on, you can, you can go for that. Go and apply for that. You know, or I'll lend you my suit. Some people, we, we just think of it of advantage in, in one way. And I think there's so much more to it. And, and I think it would require a huge investment. You know, it's almost like a mentor buddy system. You know, I, I have coaching sessions, um, to, you know, to support my well-being. You know, I figure that if I'm in a good place, staff are going to be in a good place. I'll be better at my job. Um, you know, almost coaching, not counseling, but coaching sessions for people to help them better themselves, get the most out of life. Um, but I, I, that would have to be, you know, for me, that would be an ongoing thing that, you know, people could access as and when they felt that they needed it. Mm. I, I don't know that, that that's kind no, of I, I so agree because I I often I don't I, I've started sharing more but it's taken me 10 years to to be the person I am now because I had to like do a lot of self-development because like you um I felt like an imposter um I wrote my first book wrote 10,000 words and then wrote to my editor to my publisher and I said I can't do this and she just went Oh yes, you can because you sign a contract. So I won this this book, which I'm glad she did. <laughs> otherwise, I would never have published it. But you know, I think you, you were talking about that position. You know, going to Durham and seeing your peers and seeing the it's really fascinating, isn't it? Because if you've not grown up with that, you've got to work at it much harder. Yeah, much harder. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a, it was a real culture shock. Mm. Um, and, and I often think, you know, I've got I've now got lots of friends who were public school educated, but one of the things that you realise is there's there's a lot to be said for that confidence, that mm. you know that that deep, excuse me, uh, inner confidence that they're comfortable in any situation. And I think I'm at that point now. You can drop me into the House of Commons, and I think I'll be okay. You can drop me in a really posh hotel. I think I'll be okay. Um, you know. The local Greg's when I'm getting a sausage roll, I'll be all right. I'm I'm okay in all these social <laughs> circumstances. But I remember that that boy leaving Hartlepool to go off to university. That wasn't me. You know, I, I landed in Durham, which was only 16 miles away, and, and people are saying, "What school did you go to?" I'm like, "Oh, you're from down south. You're not going to know my school." And and I realised very quickly that if you went to public school, you tended to know the other public schools, whether they were, you know, around the corner or 100 miles away. You just knew them and it was just little things like that that you had to pick up along the way. You know, we, we had formal dinners on a, on a Thursday, I think it was, and you, you'd wear a black gown, you know, and, and you'd go for sherry or port afterwards. And you know, this was a completely different world to me, you know. You know, and that that that's advantage. You know, the, the amount of people that must drop out because they just feel that it's not for them. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's this. It's so complex. The question that you've asked. You know that you could write a book and and many more on that subject, couldn't you? It's what you do about it. That that's the the million dollar question. Um, but I, I think we live in a world that's very different. You know, technology we're very different now to, to two, three years ago, five years ago, never mind ten, twenty years ago, and we just can't keep up. Our our system, the government, democracy setups, it's so cumbersome and and hard. You know, slow to to be able to adapt to change. I think you know maybe there's something in that. Um, 
I won't um, sleep tonight for thinking about that. <laughs> it's fabulous, and I think it's uh, you know it can be the start of a conversation, right? We can. We yeah, can absolutely, absolutely. We we talk about that. So I think it's really important. I think it's a, uh, you know, and 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 that somebody recently showed me the picture of, you know, what equity in education looks like. You know, as in. You don't start putting people on boxes because they're shorter if there's a barrier. You know, there's no barrier so that regardless of what height or, you know, how old you are, you can see things. And that for me was a massive eye-opener because so I was like, oh, wow. You know, that difference between equity and equitable is like, you know, being equitable means that you just give those who don't have the things that the others have. Yeah. But if it could be a level playing field, it would be so amazing. I think I'd like to see more voices, you know, representing our, I don't even know whether it's PC these days to say, you know, your working class communities, your disadvantaged communities. You know, I, I would like to see, you know, and I, I count myself absolutely, I am from that background. So I feel like I, I'm, I'm allowed to, to say that, but I would like to see more voices or, you know, a channel that the channels of communication you know that those thoughts and feelings and the experiences that that people are going through that the people who can make the decisions are, are really aware of it and want to do something about it yeah yeah because i think that's what it is i think it's about you talking about culture shock i think that's what it is it's a, it's a lack of understanding of what it's like for others and equally for the other people, isn't it? It's that your mindsets and your and your beliefs and your 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 values are so different that you you almost can't you live in two different worlds. And unless you get those two worlds to to meet and to interact and and to develop more cultural understanding and cultural you know agility, so people can can you know, learn from each other. Absolutely. That's the only way it's going to work, isn't it? Cultural agility. I like that. Mm. I'm going to nick that one. No, that's well, don't, it's not mine, actually. It's somebody called Paula Caliguri. Look at that. You've even got a book. 10 out of 10. Right, well, you know, academics, they live with books. <laughs> But yeah, it's a cultural agility. And actually, what I've seen in my research is that people who are flourishing are culturally agile. So if you are, if you can adjust, you know, you were saying, it's really interesting because you were saying, you can drop me anywhere and I'll, I'll, I'll adapt. That is the sign of cultural agility. But I didn't used to feel like that. No. You know, I, I can remember going, you'd go to a restaurant and think, right, what sauce is the right one that goes with that meat? You know, it, it can be as stupid as that. You know, like I use the example, and I really mean it, but have you seen Pretty Woman, the film? Have you seen Pretty Woman? You know, the, the cutlery scene, I vividly remember watching it thinking, ah, must remember, restaurant, I mean, if I'm in a posh restaurant at some point, work from the outside, work from the outside, I'll be fine. You know, it's things like that, things that we take for granted. Um, and and that, that's why I think some of the things we do at school, um, you know, just taking them to places, um, I remember we we when we did the Christmas stuff, we were dead lucky. We we got invited on the one show on BBC, mm. and and over the road from BBC, you know, the, the big centre that they have was um, the Langham, I think it is. The it's a five star hotel, 
And there was only a couple of the kids with us. And I just took them in. You know, I just wanted them to see five-star luxury wow. at Christmas. And the one show, show was cool. But do you know what? Taking those kids in this ridiculously opulent, beautiful, decadent Christmas hotel, you know, that for me, that, that, that was cool. That just, you know, the, you know, just showed the kids a glimpse into a different world. And when we did Britain's Got Talent, we took 50 kids, 50 parents off to central London to stay in a five-star hotel for six nights. You know, you know, it, the Britain's Got Talent, you know, being on stage was great. But can you imagine we had six nights, all expenses in central London, you know, it was brilliant, you know, and, and that, that, you know, there's a lot to be said for just those experiences, the cultural experiences, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the development of the cultural capital that they call it. Um, there's a lot to be said for that, that you can't necessarily evidence in a sense test, mm -hmm. but it might just be the thing that, that, you know, that changes them a little bit moving forward in their life. I love that. That is so awesome. So, um, Dave, when I, when I sort of, wrap up with with people for the, for the podcast and and ask them if you had one or two things you want the parents or the young people to hear from our conversation what would it be um parents from my school or parents many, in general many parents it can be both wow talk about putting me on the spot fabian um you can say pass and i just no, no. oh i don't pass <laughs> i don't pass i don't need passing um <laughs> you know it, it it risks becoming a cliche but it's the kind of that it's there to dream i genuinely genuinely believe you know dare to dream just give it a go um, I, I kind of wanted to say, do you know what? Being a parent's hard. Um, you know, it, I don't know if it, it linked to it all, but being a parent is hard. I got three kids. You're permanently tired. You spend all your money on them. You know, you, you don't have your much time to yourself. And it's hard. So I think part of it was, you know, be kind to yourself, particularly during the pandemic. It has been tough. Um, you know, reach out for support if you need it. Dare to dream. The, 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 my, my messages don't hang together very coherently. They do, though, but, because, it, because but, it, it, you first need to look after yourself, but then once you've looked after yourself and you're in that good place, then seek the support and then and, and dare to dream. That makes sense. Dare to dream for yourself and yeah. dare to dream for your children. Yeah. Honestly, I, I really believe that so much more is possible when you you, you, know, you just give it a go. And that's, you know, it, it, it's very genuine. Just give it a go, dare to dream. Yes, I love it. And you know what? I think what I love about from talking to you on, on this podcast and, you know, when we had our conversation initially is you're the most genuine head I've ever come across. It's like so oh. authentic and so just, just really genuine. And, and, and I think... That's probably what um, what shines in what you do, and you know what what Thank your you. people see. I, I really appreciate that. Really, really appreciate. It. And and I think I try. Um, you know, you you want to. You become a bit paranoid when people see you on Britain's Got Talent or doing the BBC stuff. But it's genuine. I, I love my kids. Mm. You know, my my own kids. Obviously, I love. But I, I do love my kids at school. You know, five hundred of them. 
you know, I love my community. I, 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 they're such a brilliant community. Things are tough for many of them. Um, but, but hopefully, you know, hopefully it, it comes across. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. I feel a bit emotional, Fabi. That's a beautiful thing to say. And I'm genuinely quite touched and really grateful for that. Thank you. I, I, I really am. Yeah, I really, really mean it, though. You, 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 you know, very often, um, having spoken to, not all heads, but there are, you know, in the system and more traditional heads are very guarded and very, um, and you're, you're so, yeah, genuine and open and, and, and willing to share. And, and I'm not surprised that y y you got on, on Britain Got Talent and, you, you know, I still am. <laughs> That's really kind. Really, really kind, Fabian. I, I've really enjoyed this. You've asked loads of, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm wheeled out. I talk about Britain's Got Talent, you know, and, and it's the same size. And I feel that we've gone to a very different place. I feel like you've challenged my thinking. Um, so credit to you as well. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed Thank it. Honestly, you, I have. Mate. I've loved it. Thank you. And let's have some more because I would love to continue that conversation about, yeah. you know, um, in particular around equity and and you know mindsets and all of those are really yeah, like. absolutely and if you're ever up near blackpool come and have a visit i will i promise um, yeah. you should do that i love bristol i do love bristol oh, then come down as well we'll just do it next uh, week bristol bristol's a cool city i think yeah i'll um, stop i'll stop the recording in a minute Thank you for listening to our podcast i hope you really enjoyed it and we hope to see you soon in the meantime take care and we hope that you are flourishing